This morning's scripture reading is John 18, verses 1 through 11. And for those of you that have good enough eyes to see the Pew Bibles, you'll find it in the New Testament on page 98. After Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the Kidron Valley to a place where there was a garden, which he, had, which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who had betrayed him, also knew the place because Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas brought a detachment of soldiers together with police from the chief priests and the Pharisees, and they came there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing all that was to happen to him, came forward and asked them, whom are you looking for? They answered, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus replied, I am he. Judas, who had betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they stepped back and fell to the ground. Again he asked them, Whom are you looking for? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he, so if you are looking for me, let these people go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. I did not lose a single one of those whom you gave me. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it, struck the high priest's slave, and cut off his right ear. The slave's name was Malchus. Jesus said to Peter, put your sword back into its sheath. Am I not to drink the cup that the Father has given me? May the Lord bless the reading of the word. So over the last uh, number of weeks, we've been considering the theme of um, walking the valleys of life uh, with, with God, walking the valleys of life with Christ. And we've used a variety of texts that have picked on various themes uh, concerning valleys. And this one today is the first uh, one that we have looked at in the New Testament. But, you know, just before I say that, I want Dave Saunders to come forward here. Dave, come on up. Can I do a little aside here? You don't mind? My mind is a little bit all over today, so that's all right. Come on up here, Dave, my buddy, for 30-odd years. Dave Saunders, we put in our church bulletin today this statement here. Recently, Pastor Dave announced his retirement as associate pastor after some 30 years of ministry in our midst. Isn't that pretty cool? 30 years? Yeah. <laughs> Woo! 30 years of putting up with me, man. You are a saint. You are a saint. We have greatly appreciated Dave and Joy's faithful ministry within our church family. Joy, I'll let you sit there. You don't have to come up here. <laughs> within our church family during this period of time, in light of their continuing presence in our midst, we want to officially name Dave as Pastor Emeritus at Weston Park Baptist Church. <laughs> Woo, yeah. In this role, Dave will be tasked with many, many things to do. But you won't get paid for it, big guy. That's the way it's happening. 
No, in this role, Dave will not be tasked with any specific pastoral duties, but will be recognized as pastor emeritus and continue to serve on our pastoral team as he desires and feels directed by the Spirit of God. So we wanted to kind of officially uh, note this. And uh, Dave, do you want to say anything? Yeah, you want to, if you like. You weren't worried about all this, but anyway, there you go. No, I wasn't. No. So I, I've been around this church for a long time. Actually, you could blame Joy for the fact that I'm at this church. So I found her, and I had to come into Weston in the, at night because coming from Mount Dennis, we weren't allowed in Weston in the daytime. But, uh, so Joy was involved with the young people, and I heard about that, so I came, and eventually, somehow, I'm here now, and they were talking about all those years. So there's a lot of years that, that we were involved. Um, I was involved, and it wasn't a pastor, and uh, but uh, certainly, it's been a it's been a pleasure and a, and a joy to be a joy um, and a good time, a good thing, um, working here. And uh, I was here be longer than Alan, but uh, this, this has been great having Alan this long. And uh, if I can help in the next 12 years before Alan retires, <laughs> I'll be happy to do that. So it's, a, it's great uh, seeing so many people who are here and uh, continue to uh, continue to help and serve and look after us, uh, one another, uh, in the days to come. That's the end of it. Thanks, man. Thank you. Thanks, Dave. Thanks, buddy. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> Thanks, Dave. <clears throat> so, going back to what I was saying... Um, yeah, the first time we're looking at a New Testament text, right, in terms of the valleys. So, as you know, you're all students of the Bible. There are four Gospels, and Matthew, Mark, Luke are called the Synoptic Gospels, and they um, are quite similar in their approaches. They're not exact, but they're similar. The Gospel of John is not one of the Synoptics and is quite different in its shape, in its feel, and in its symbolism. There's a lot more symbolism and layers to read in the Gospel of John. So it's, it's, we're looking at hermeneutics uh, for a few weeks, four weeks, after the service uh, for this bit. And hermeneutics is about how you understand the Scriptures. So the Gospel of John is different than the other Gospels, so that takes a little bit of uh, hermeneutical skills to consider it. So that's, uh, that's the invitation. So as we begin, we hear these words. Uh, Tamara had read, after Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the Kidron Valley, there's the valley, to a place where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, because Jesus often met there with his disciples. So the context here is the Upper Room Discourse, which is John chapter 13 right through 17. 
where Jesus is in the upper room talking with his disciples and preparing them for what is to follow. And it's also a time for his own preparation for what's to follow. So we're looking at this valley of Kidron as a time of preparation. And I think we often find ourselves in places where we need to prepare ourselves. We're getting ready for the following section of the journey, for whatever that might be. And to enter it well, we need to prepare. And that, I think, is what Jesus is doing here. You note there was a garden. And in the Gospel of John, it's never mentioned the Garden of Gethsemane. It's just a garden. So there's a difference. Why doesn't John talk about Gethsemane? But he does reference a garden. And in that garden, Jesus would take his disciples often. And when they were in Jerusalem, it seems like they would stay there and overnight there in this garden. It would be a place of rest, respite. And Jesus would, you know, sleep under the stars in the garden. And so he often would take his disciples there. He's going to take them there now. And, of course, Judas would know about there that he's been there on many occasions. So the context is Jesus leaving the upper room and now taking his disciples. So we have a little map here of how this might, how this might go. So in the, let's see if we can get that right, there and right here, see if I can read it. Uh, the upper room is the yellow, okay? So that's, it's, a, it's the upper part of the city down here. That is where they are, have met, Jesus and his disciples, having met for Passover. They've been there for a n- number of hours. You just imagine the scene, right? In an upper room. You can travel to Jerusalem safe, during safe days and they will take you to the part of the city where the upper room was and perhaps even the building that was the upper room. So Jesus is there with his group. At the end, the other Gospels tell us that they sang a hymn together, which would have been one of the psalm texts, and they leave and they walk through the city and go through a gate right at the very bottom. So Jesus is now walking with his disciples through the city, and by the way, the walking in the old days, the leader led and everybody else followed. It was single file. The idea of walking in pairs in a group, in a line, is actually quite recent in, in human history. It was following in lines. So Jesus here is leading the path, <clears throat> comes to this gate, and then walks all the way down the Kidron Valley to what we call Gethsemane, John is calling it the garden. So what are they thinking about going up that valley? What's Jesus thinking about leading the way? He knows what's coming. text tells us that he knows these things. He's not going to be surprised. He leaves, leads his disciples into the garden, And Judas has got a pretty good idea because he's already slipped out during the the meal of Passover in the upper room. He slipped out because he's going to betray Jesus. That in itself is quite shocking, don't you think? You have 13 disciples. 
You've traveled together for three years. You are very close. You are very tight. Nobody has an idea that Judas is going to betray Jesus. When he leaves, they have no idea what that's about. They're certainly not thinking that he's going to betray their master. That's not even a thought in their heads. So Judas has concealed his anxiety and his stress, his anger with Jesus, all that's going on. It's not working out the way he wants to do it. Something's got to break in his way, so he's going to do it. We know that he gets 30 pieces of silver. All of that is happening. Walking up the valley of preparation. Leads his disciples into the garden. Into this garden of Gethsemane. So that's kind of the route. Walking up there, and of course this area today, as you know, is a disaster in terms of the stress and the tensions and the war. Kidron Valley is actually on the other side. It's outside of Jerusalem, towards the West Bank, right? That area. But same part of the world. So that's the context. That's the setup. Text carries on. So Judas brought a detachment of soldiers together with police from the chief priests and the Pharisees And they came there with lanterns and torches and weapons known. The word detachment is a word, it's it's various translations in your various Bibles, right? If you have NIV or KJV, it'll be a different word than detachment. But a detachment, that Greek word, is up to 600 soldiers. This is not Judas traveling up to see them with three or four soldiers, okay? That's not, if you've seen that picture, that's not the picture. There may not be 600, but there's up to 600. There are a lot of soldiers. Why? Because they're going into a dark place. Judas is the only one who knows where they are. They know that Jesus has a group of men, and they may well be armed as Peter is armed. And so they are going, and they are anticipating resistance. They are anticipating a fight. They bring lanterns and torches so they can go into the garden and find Christ and find Jesus of Nazareth who they're looking for and overcome whatever resistance there is to be able to take them back to the leaders of Israel. So how many soldiers are there? We don't know. But there's more than 10 or 12. They know, Judas has told them, they got a band of at least 12 people himself. So they're going more than one to one. They could easily have 50 soldiers. And not only that, they have police from the chief priests and the Pharisees. So there's a whole group. And they're going with torches and they are going with arms. And they are going expecting a fight. Why? Because that's what the world does. If you're going to take our leader, there's going to be a fight. Isn't that what happens? People don't just, okay, here I am. They're not expecting that at all. They are expecting resistance in Israel today, right? The forces strike and reach out, and then Israel attacks. It's it's, it's resistance to resistance. It's, It's arms to arms. That's the way the world works, and that's what they're expecting right here. So Judas, the betrayer, he's noted, 
a cohort of Roman soldiers, up to 600, police, so on, and they go to the garden. The other thing that's noted here is the garden is walled. It's a walled garden. The words, it does not say walled, but it says they enter, they enter, and they go out. That language in the Greek is quite clear. They enter the garden, and when the soldiers come, Jesus goes out to them. So the implication is that this is a walled garden. You could kind of investigate that yourself more if you wanted to pursue that. And there's reasons why that, because John is going to show some connections in terms of his symbolism. So here we have the walled garden and we have a door. Jesus has taken a door, a space, a gate. He's taken his disciples into this area. And what do we see? Judas and the soldiers come to that gate, that area. So what's John doing there? John's got Jesus and the disciples in the garden. And now Judas and his cohort coming, and they're outside of the garden by the gate. That is the setup. A dialogue ensues. Then Jesus, knowing all that was to happen to him, came forward, came out, and asked them, For whom are you looking? And they answered, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said, I am he. In the Greek, it's just simply ego eimi, I am. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. He's standing with the Romans now, right? He's standing with the soldiers. He's part of that group. That's the idea. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they stepped back and fell to the ground. Soldiers, some of them stumble some. Why? Why? Because they're shocked. They're shocked with this Jesus coming out, meeting them at the gate. This is not what they anticipate. Again, he asked them, for whom are you looking? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said, Jesus says, I told you that I am he. That's the third time that you hear the I am. That means something with John. So if you are looking for me, let these men go, these people go. And this was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. I did not lose a single one of those whom you gave me. So John writes. So Jesus says, who are you looking for? <clears throat> That's the same language that the Gospel of John begins with. When the two disciples leave John the Baptist, and John says, there goes the Lamb of God, and the two disciples leave John, and they follow Jesus. And they're following Jesus down by the River Jordan, and Jesus turns around and says, what are you looking? What are you seeking? Who are you seeking? It's the same language, it's the very same verb as who are you seeking here? So for the gospel writer, the question, of course, is always, what are we seeking? Who are you seeking? What are the deeper values for you, for you and your life? What are you seeking? What do you want? The gospel of John is asking that to you and to me. What do you want? Muyua, what do you want, man? goes on. What do you want? Who do you want? So for the gospel writer, that's a key question. Begins with it, he ends with it here. They answer, Jesus of Nazareth. And Judas is standing by with the Roman soldiers. So that's all, it's all part of the symbolism, the picture here. 
Three times Jesus says, I am. Interesting level on that, of course, is when you go back to the story of Moses at the burning bush in Exodus chapter 3. Moses wants some clarification with this burning bush and this voice that he's hearing. And he says, what is your name? And the voice says, I am. I am who I am. The voice says that to Moses. I am who I am. Verb to be. I am. Jesus here uses the same language. I am. So he's making a connection with the Father. He's not saying he's exactly the Father. Father, Son, Spirit. But he shares divinity with the Father. Do you see what I mean? I am. I am. But Jesus prays to the Father all the time. Three times the divine name. So the idea here is Jesus protects his disciples. Jesus is fearless. Jesus is preparing himself through the valley of Kidron. This whole group of soldiers, just imagine at night, at least 50 people, 50 soldiers with torches, marching with all their gear, with all their arms, coming up to the, the gate of the garden. And Jesus goes out to them. This is the gate. He goes out. Who are you seeking? Jesus of Nazareth. I am. And we have this exchange, and it goes on a few times. Jesus protecting. Jesus the good shepherd. So what is interesting here is that we can now get and overlap with what's going on in John chapter 10, where Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, and when he says that I am the gate. So we go back to the walled garden, and now we see it at a deeper level. You have Judas and the soldiers on the outside, thieves. We're thinking in terms of the sheepfold imagery, if you go back and read John 10. The disciples and the sheep inside, and Jesus as a shepherd, the gatekeeper at the door. So what is that saying? Well, if the Gospel of John, Jesus is saying, very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. I am the gate. You remember, there are seven different I am statements in the Gospel of John. Here's one of them. I am the gate. I am the way in. At another point, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. John 14, 6, in the upper room. And then he says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. I am the gate. I am the good shepherd, I am here and I am protecting my own. And in the Gospel of John, the disciples are saved. See, we're not told that they all run away. In the Gospel of John, they are spared. That's the end of that scene, and Jesus is taken away. The Gospels read a little bit differently. The point being, Jesus is our good shepherd here. Jesus is our gate. Jesus is our light. The Roman soldiers come bearing lights and torches to arrest the great light of the world. See, John has so many layers to read the, the story. Jesus there for you. Jesus there for me. So the question for us today is, well, how is Jesus your good shepherd? In what way is Jesus your good shepherd? In what way is Jesus protecting you? In what way is he your gate? How does Jesus come out and meet you?
What is Jesus saying to you this day? All of that is happening in this story. As you are preparing yourself for whatever you're facing at in your life, Jesus is saying, how can I come and walk with you in this time? So we hold those questions for a moment. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's slave and cut off his right ear. The slave's name was Malchus. We don't hear that anywhere else. Jesus said to Peter, put your sword back into its sheath. Am I not to drink the cup that the Father has given me? What is Peter's response? Resistance. Peter is going to fight to the death. That's what everybody does, and I'm going to do it. He lashes out. Jesus' response, note, is not that. Peter turns away, it turns, I mean, sorry, Jesus turns to Peter and says actually rather abruptly, put your sword away, put it back in the sheath. We're not told here that he heals the ear, the other, writer, the other gospels make that point, but it's an unexpected response. The path of non-resistance. Didn't we, last week in our hermeneutics time, we talked about war and different responses to war. Three different responses. And one of the responses was non-resistance. And here, in this story, in this situation, Jesus' response is exactly that. If that is not his response, what happens here? There's a big fight, and the disciples are killed. They would all be killed. That's it. Then the whole idea of them becoming apostles and sent ones throughout the world with the gospel are finished. They're going to put up a good fight, but they're most likely going to die, and the whole story ends right here. And Jesus has enough insight to say, no, that will not achieve our purposes. It might look good in a newsflash. Che and the others going out in a, a battle somewhere. Che Guevara died in Bolivia in a battle scene. Down there you'll see pictures of Che. He's a big, big hero. Ends in a fight. Jesus decides that's not it. So I'm not saying it's always the path of non-resistance. What I'm saying is that is Jesus' response here, and there is a reason for that. That's his it. That's his picture. In fact, he says, am I not to drink the cup of suffering that God has for me? Am I not to drink it? Jesus knows there's going to be suffering, and he is prepared to drink that cup of suffering for the purposes of God. We don't like to suffer. We don't want to drink the cup of suffering. But often that is exactly what we need to do. You have your cup of suffering and I have my cup. And the question is, is will we ultimately drink it or not? Or do we refuse it? Initially we say, no, no, I don't want to do that. I don't want to drink that cup of suffering. But there may be a deeper purpose where we, have to, we are called to drink that, you see? So Jesus is prepared to drink the cup of suffering, and of course the question for us is what about us? Often we say, no, 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 I don't want to drink it. 
I'm, get, I'm angry with you, God, because you've given me this cup of suffering. I don't want this cup of suffering. I don't want this illness. I don't want this stress. I don't want the money challenges. I don't want my family hassles. It goes on and on and on. Even though there are 8 billion people on the planet and everybody is stressed out at some level. But we can say, well, I don't, I don't want mine. I don't want my stress. The language is the cross. I don't want my cross. I don't want it. And maybe God's response is, well, you know what? That's your cross. And you got to drink it. Or you refuse it. Oftentimes, the way to growth is actually the way of drinking our cup of suffering. We need to drink that to become fully who we are called to be. But we don't like it. So that's the story for Jesus to Peter, Jesus to the disciples, Jesus to us. What does it mean for us as we go on? Well, Jesus surrenders himself to God's plans. He's not surrendering himself to the Romans here. Jesus is taking the initiative throughout the whole scene. Jesus goes out to meet them. Jesus makes sure his disciples are saved. And then he allows himself to be bound and taken away. He knows exactly what he's doing. The forces of darkness are not winning here. Jesus knows what he's doing here for his greater cause and purposes. Secondly, Jesus is the good shepherd. He's the good shepherd for you and for me. We, we may not feel that. We may not feel, Jesus, you're not acting so good to me right now. You know, I don't see you as my good shepherd. But Jesus is our good shepherd. That's what the story is telling us. That's what the Gospels are saying. He's that for you and for me. The challenge is, is will we believe that in the midst of the valley? When you're in the valley... Will you believe that Jesus is walking with you in that valley of preparation? Thirdly, Jesus is the light that overcomes the darkness of the world. All the soldiers with their great torches, right? They're going to find Jesus in the garden. What happens? Jesus walks right out to them. Who are you looking for? Ah, uh, well, Jesus. I am he. Three times. So the image with John, another I am statement, I am the light of the world. That's another one. I am the gate. I am the good shepherd. I am the light of the world. And so we end with the idea that Jesus is preparing himself in his valley of Kidron. How are you and I preparing ourselves? Wherever we are at, whatever stage we are at, whatever life stage we're at, whatever challenges we're facing, how do we prepare ourselves and how do we hear God's voice in the midst of our valley of preparation? How do we hear Jesus' voice? How do we hear the Spirit's voice? For the team going to Bolivia, we have four individuals, myself, five of us. Well, there's going to be opportunities. It, it will be a good time. I'm hoping it will be a fun time. But there's an opportunities here to hear God's voice in a way that you won't hear here, just because it's different, totally different. So the invitation is, will I hear God's voice there? Or will I go there and be just as distracted there as I am here? And then I hear diddly squat. I have to open myself up to hear God's voice, be still and know that I am God, 
Be still and know. So the invitation for the team is to keep listening. And for us in our day to listen here for you this week. Walking with Jesus through the valley of preparation. I'm not sure what that means for you. What's the, what's the valley for you? And I bet you there's some sort of connection there for you. Let's pray as we end, shall we? Father, I thank you that you walk with us, that Jesus, your son, walks with us through every stage of life. And Lord, I think lots of us here have some sense of valley that we're in, some sense of preparing maybe ourselves for something. May we know that you walk with us, that you protect us, that you are our good shepherd, you are our light, you are the gate. May we find comfort in that, find strength in that, encouragement that, in that, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.